0: All right, good morning and welcome to Chennau. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. Uh, we think Chanel is a special place. And that's because you are here uh, making it so. So thank you for being here. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or whatever you're using, uh, that's where we'll be this morning. Um, before we get started, let's, let's go to God in prayer and then we'll jump into the text. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, Lord, to sing praises, to share communion, God. As we open up your word, and God, we, we study these stories of miracles from Jesus. God, uh, speak through those. Uh, use the words and the actions of Jesus to, to shape and mold our lives. And Jesus we pray. Amen. So our story this morning uh, begins, again, in Luke chapter 6. But it starts in a similar way as a lot of these miracle stories start where it starts in a, a, away from the miracle, if that makes sense. Then we actually get to the miracle later on. But as Luke is telling these stories, these are connected. Luke wants us to see that there are certain things in this story, especially, that happen on the Sabbath that not only define Jesus, but disrupt the status quo. Often when we learn out of the gate that something is happening on the Sabbath, it's safe to assume that Jesus is going to make someone mad. So if you look at Luke chapter 4, Jesus is going to exercise a demon out of a man. Saying it again, he exercises a demon out of a man, and the Pharisees are mad. Instead of being like, hey pal, did you see that demon leave that man? They're like, no, 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 that was on the Sabbath. You can't do that. And so Luke often identifies these disrupting stories happening on the Sabbath. It's again, it's Jesus kind of breaking the status quo, challenging the, mod, the, the religious leadership at the time. And so our story this morning begins in verse 1. One Sabbath, again, Jesus, Luke is saying, pay attention, we're going to make people mad. But one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Now at the end of your aisles, there should be some grain. If you'd like to participate in this fun activity that we're going to do together. Um, I'm already aware that I will be the one vacuuming the mess that we're about to make. So please, don't, you're fine. You can do this if you'd like. Because I want you to see what's actually happening in this story. Often we, we, kinda, we try to visualize it, but we don't really go through the actual motions. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields. Now, in Israel, what they would do is from one place to another, especially places where paved roads had not been established yet, they would walk the beaten path, if you're familiar with that phrase, where like they had walked through this particular area of the grain field so many times that grass did not grow there. That is where they are walking from point A to point B. They're walking through this, this beaten path. There would likely have been grain on both sides of them. And so as they're walking, likely kind of single file, following Jesus... Some of the disciples began to pluck some of the grain out of the ground. Now what they would do is they would take the, the head of the grain and kind of rub it like this. This is great audio quality here. You catching all this, Gary? Um, but they would rub it together until some of the kernels fell out of the, grain of the head of the grain. And then they would eat this. I kind of equate this to how like, I consume sunflower seeds. I almost do it like not even thinking about it. all of a sudden, the the entire bag of sunflower seeds is gone because I've just been eating them, just not even thinking about it. That is what the disciples are doing. As they're walking from point A to point B, they're just plucking this grain out of the ground, again, doing this with their fingers, and then eating the kernels, kind of as a, a little snack on the way to their next location. This doesn't really... I mean, I hate to say it like this, but it does, this is nothing, right? We're just kind of eating this kernel. Cur- I don't know if you're supposed to eat these kernels. Just a heads up. Sorry, some of you are trying them. Um, found this off of Amazon. Just a heads up. Um, so this should have been a warning, I guess. But this doesn't really, I mean in the grand scheme of things, they're really doing this mindless activity that, that they're, just, they're just kind of snacking from point A to point B as they go from the next, to the next location. But as we've already indicated, this is a Sabbath day. Meaning that Jesus is going to make someone mad. And he does. The next text here in verse 2, some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now I could hear that some of you were doing this. I want you to think about like the motion that you just did with that grain. That is what they got mad about. Now they're, they're in their minds. They're thinking, you are breaking so many Torah laws for how we keep the Sabbath. I mean, they're going deep into Deuteronomy chapter 5, Exodus chapter 20. I mean, they've got the verses underlined and highlighted in their Bibles. And in their minds, they've seen the disciples do three different things. One, taking the grain out of the ground, that is you're breaking the commandment. The next one would be the actual motion with your fingers, that's considered threshing. Can't do that either on the Sabbath. And then if the disciples were to discard the grain as they walked along, that's winnowing. So the disciples now have broken three commandments right out of the gate in regards to keeping the Sabbath holy. And so they look at this, and they're just like, you're breaking all of these rules that matter to us. Because the Pharisees, they kept the Torah. They knew the Torah. They breathed the Torah. It was everything about who they were and how they existed. And so all of a sudden, these, these men, these young men who are following Jesus, just doing this thing, it's, they feel like they're just rubbing it in their faces. You're breaking the law just to break the law. It's is kind of how the Pharisees view these actions. But the tone changes drastically. I, I like to listen to like audio versions of the Bible, and I don't think anyone has ever accurately depicted Jesus' tone in this next verse. Uh, to me, I keep going back to like a... Teenager who is about to hurt your feelings. Like, that's kind of what this text feels like. I just kind of want you to see where we're going with this. Because Jesus says, Have you never read? I want you to hear that for just a moment. Because we just laid the foundation. These guys, these Pharisees, know the law, they exist for the law. And so when Jesus starts off, Have you never read? We're already insulting the Pharisees. Like, before we even get to what he says next, we are already insulting these men. Because of course they've read this. Of course they know this. I told Jack Yates before church, I said, all week I kind of tried to think, what is an example that I could use that would fit here to describe what Jesus is doing? And it would be like if the Yates has invited me over for dinner. We're having a nice meal. We're sitting there, we're talking, and I look at John and I look at Jack, and I'm like, have you guys ever heard of the Kansas City Chiefs? You guys, you're not going to believe this. They've got this quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, pretty talented guy. That, that's exactly what's going on there. Because, of course, the Pharisees know the law. Like, of course, they know the story about David. But the way that Jesus is presenting it is like, you may know it, but you're missing the point. So he says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful, only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. He's saying, David ate because David was hungry. Now one of the things that Jesus is doing here that we, we miss because we're, kind of, we're playing with the grain and we're having a good time. But one of the things that we can easily miss here in this story is Jesus is, is restra- reshaping the structure of who's in charge. Because by referencing David, they would have gone to that royal mindset of this is God, like the son of God. David here is is David. They knew these David stories. But again, Jesus is is reshaping how these individuals view who is in charge. And so what Jesus is really doing here is fascinating. He's saying, you you thought David was in charge? the, The holy man David. Look what David did, and he got away with it. And then Jesus does this line, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So we've we've offended the Pharisees because we're not keeping the Sabbath tradition. We're breaking all of those rules, all of those codes, all of those standards. And in this scene, the last words that we get from Jesus is, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Again, going back to that Deuteronomy 20 passage there about who is in charge of, the, it's Exodus 20, excuse me. Exodus 20 passage about the, the keeping of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, the person in charge of the Sabbath, You thought it was David. But the person that is in charge of the Sabbath, that, that writes the rules of the Sabbath, that defines what can happen on the Sabbath is standing before you. If the other thing didn't make him mad, this would have made him mad. So, this whole, these first five verses in this scene are all about Jesus saying, You need to figure out who's in charge. Because the person who is in charge is in front of you. This is something that is fascinating to me about the Pharisees. Because they are often the closest individuals to Jesus outside of the disciples. But just like the disciples, they miss the mark over and over and over again. They are so bothered that the disciples take this grain, rub it in their fingers, eat those kernels, and just keep on walking. And they fail to see that the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man, who is Lord of the Sabbath, is right there in front of them. They completely miss it. So what Luke does is he connects this Sabbath story to another Sabbath story. Again, as I've said already, that any time that Luke begins a story with we're on the Sabbath day, we know that Jesus is going to disrupt something. And he's likely, along the way, going to make the Pharisees very upset. So Luke moves forward. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose hand was shriveled. There's a few things that we have to kind of lay out here before we move on. First, We've likely read this story before. Like you've probably seen this story before, you, you've read it before. You maybe even as a kid you looked at the story. One of the things that I have overlooked for my entire life when I've read the story from Luke chapter six is no one else knows that this man has a shriveled hand. He is not, for all intents and purposes, the focal point of the story yet. But Luke introduces him early. I think for a specific reason. One, Luke wants us to know that there's somebody there with an ailment. There's somebody in the room that has has come to hear Jesus that that you're going to hear about later on. But again, it's not like when this man walked into the room. they were like, oh, there's the guy with the shriveled hand. That is not what's happening in the story. They're at the synagogue, and Jesus is going to be teaching people. And so Luke just includes this detail about there's a man there with a shriveled hand two other things that that I have to lay kind of the foundation for. Culturally, the emphasis on the right hand would have meant way more to them than it does to us. Because in this society, the right hand was considered your clean hand. It was the hand that you ate with. It was the hand that maybe you introduced yourself with. It was kind of your, your proper hand that was viewed as a clean, ceremonially clean hand. Your left hand was not. Any other bodily functions that took place, took place using the left hand. And so we're, we're getting this emphasis here that this man's right hand is shriveled. Meaning in this society, there would have been this look upon this man as he's unclean, unworthy. We talked about like, the weight of how society viewed people with these physical ailments uh, last week. They may have even looked at this man and said, hey, this this man's father sinned, and that's why he has this hand condition. But whatever that may be, Luke is is telling us, pay attention to this, because this man is viewed as unclean, because his right hand doesn't work. The only hand that he has that works is his left hand. And there's another thing, too, that Luke kind of gives us that is, is an important detail, maybe for the Bible nerds like me, but it's the usage of the word shriveled there. The word that that Luke uses is intentional because he only uses it a few other times throughout his gospel, and specifically when it comes to plants or vegetation. When Luke talks about Jesus about to go to the temple and he passes by the fig tree that was withered, this is the same Greek word that he's using. This is the only time that we see this in the New Testament that talks about somebody's physical condition. But what Luke, I think, again, he won't return my calls, But what I think Luke is really getting at there is this man's hand is dead. It's useless. It's withered. It's shriveled. There is no fruit that can come from this hand. So if we we make those connections between the fig tree that's withered later on in the story of Luke with this, I think that's what Luke is trying to establish. That there is nothing good coming out of this, this dead hand. It doesn't work. So Luke continues the story here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Again, anytime that we hear the word Sabbath, we know that there's going to be a disruption. We know that Jesus is going to make someone mad or upset. But you're also seeing that, again, the man with the withered hand is not a focal point yet. What Jesus is doing is he is just preaching. He's probably answering questions. He's explaining kind of God's law. He's he's doing those kind of things. He's not there to heal. He's there to teach. I would argue that Jesus has, has no intention to heal the man with the withered hand yet because he's trying to explain to the religious elite, to the church, I need you to hear what we're doing here. You're missing the point. You're missing the mark. And here the Pharisees, there's again another emphasis here that what the Pharisees are trying to do is to entrap Jesus. I don't know how many times you've ever like hate-watched something, but like essentially that's what they're doing. They are using their precious God-given time because they are mad and they are upset that Jesus is who Jesus claims to be. And so what they are doing is taking time out of their day to go listen to these sermons just to hopefully hear him mess up. Because they are ready to throw the stones. They are ready to murder this man. They are tired of it. Over and over again, already in the story of Jesus, they have been embarrassed time and time again. The people who should know the law, the people who live for the law, continue to miss the point of the law. So here again, they're looking for this reason to accuse Jesus. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. I want to pause right there because we've been really leaning into Jesus and the Pharisees. But just for a moment, I want you to think that you might be this man. Just imagine that you are this man. You have gone to hear Jesus for whatever reason. Perhaps you just heard about this man who is walking through Galilee, who, who can speak in a way that no one has heard them speak before. Perhaps you hate the Pharisees. And you're like, this God just he ruins their days. I want to hear that too. But you, you've heard about this man, and then you hear that he's going to the synagogue closest to your house. I would think that this man probably got there early. Maybe he wanted a good seat. But more than anything, I think this man got somewhere where he could kind of strategically be somewhere where no one would see his hand, that he could hide. This wasn't something that this man was proud about. He's likely ashamed, insecure, looked down upon because his hand wasn't like everybody else's. And you're just sitting there and you're listening to Jesus talk about these different topics, and maybe your heart is full with the message of Christ, and then all of a sudden Jesus says, "Get up and stand in front of everyone." Do you notice that he doesn't say, "Hey, the man with the shrivelled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone." He doesn't even identify the person that is supposed to stand up. But I guarantee you that Jesus was looking at that man. He probably didn't break eye contact at all. Stared at him and said, get up and stand in front of everyone. Now again, we we don't know everything about this man. But we're all humans. None of us would want to do this. If we had been hiding something that we were ashamed of for so long, the last thing that I would want to do is stand up in front of a, pe- a room of people who I know are trying to attack and accuse Jesus and stand up in front of them and be like, okay, like, yes. You know, like, there, there's so much social anxiety that is happening here in this moment. Like, you feel for this human being, this man who has been hiding who's been trying to draw attention away from this thing that he doesn't want anyone else to see. But Jesus can see it. The things that we we try to hide from this world, maybe from our friends, from our family, the things that we try to hide and tuck away, guys, one of the things that we can take away from this story is that Jesus sees them all. Things that we are afraid of or insecure about, man, Jesus sees those things. Hiding is maybe just for us because Jesus sees those. But Jesus doesn't look down upon those things either. There's another element of this this text, particularly here in verse 8, that I really, really love, is that he got up and stood there. I would love to know what gave this man the courage to stand up. Because it had to be the fact that he knew that Jesus was talking to him. He stood up He'd been hiding this entire time, but in this moment, in this scene, in verse 8, this man stands up, like confidently. In this moment, he's not ashamed anymore. Do you see that? In this moment, he is not hiding who he is or what he's brought to the table, because it's just him and Jesus. And so Luke continues in verse 9, Then Jesus said to them, again, the rest of the crowd, So we're getting a lot of, we're talking to the man with the shriveled hand, and now we're talking to everybody. Jesus continues to change rapidly who who he is directly talking to. And in verse 9, Jesus says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? I do not ever want to be the recipient of this example, right? Like, we all are kind of like, oh man, this kind of stinks for this guy. He's having to be the example that Jesus is using. But what Jesus is doing is, is forcing them to say, we're talking about a real human being. Jesus says, this man has living an impaired life. For me to ignore it, regardless of what day of the week it is, would be to destroy it. There is no neutrality that Jesus is offering these people this is one of those questions where Jesus does not expect an answer, and if they gave him an answer, it would be wrong. He's putting it in their court to say, do you see this man? This man has been hurting for years. He's been ashamed for years. He's been carrying his insecurities around, hiding from all of you because you look at him as somebody that is unclean and unworthy. So which is it lawful to do on the Sabbath? To ignore this man with the withered hand. Just because and say, you know what man, I'm sorry, I can't do it today, it's a Sabbath. To do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. Look what happens in this next line. He looked around at all of them. In, in the, the preaching stuff that I've been working on, one of the things that the, the individual that I'm working with, his name's Wade, he watches this, so hi Wade. But he talks about like making eye contact through the room. I think he probably got this from right here. I think this was probably the longest five minutes of all of their lives where Jesus was like, do you want to answer? Do you want to answer? Do you want to look at this man and say, we're not going to heal your hand? He looked around and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus took what was dead and gave it life. He took what was broken and healed it. And he didn't care what day of the week it was. The story ends in, in probably the saddest way possible. Very similar to that of Luke chapter 4 uh, and Luke chapter 6 as well. It, it ends miserably to me. Because what happens is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They sat through something miraculous. I assume they drove to nukes. They sat around. They gathered their tables together. They sat around and they were like, we're so mad at Jesus and what he's done. I don't like nukes. That was a joke about nukes. But I'm seeing who's with me still. But they're furious. Think about that for just a moment. These individuals have sat in this synagogue. They are are within arm's length of Jesus. They can touch him. They can dialogue with Jesus. And beyond that, they have literally witnessed a miracle. A man who had a withered hand that was, for all intents and purposes, dead in the society, has been restored, been given new life. And what these people do is they are mad about it. They've gone out of their way to be upset and disappointed that Jesus is healing because it's the day of the week. One of the things that, that I, I see in this story is these Pharisees have blinders on. I'm a big horse racing guy. I love horse racing. The Kentucky Derby is, is one of my favorite things uh, ever. It, just, it, make, it brings me so much joy and pride. Kentucky, not a lot of things to brag about, right? But horses, we got them. But in horse racing, one of the things that uh, is kind of joked about is, is, do horses really even know they're in a race, right? Right. Um, Who knows? I don't know. If I I was a horse, would I know that I was in the Kentucky Derby? Probably not. But one of the things that you see in horse racing is they often wear what they call blinders. Meaning they, they can't see what's on the other side of them, which is why it's the joke of do they even know they're in a race because all they can see is what's in front of them. When I was trying to kind of put a bow on this sermon, I kept coming back to this imagery of blinders on a horse. Because I think that's how the Pharisees are existing. The only thing that they are kind of in, consumed with, obsessed with, is making sure that they've checked all their Torah boxes. Making sure that, that all the rituals are going the way that they need to go, all the traditions they're checking all of those things off. And they've got these blinders on, and they're like, as long as we do this, as long as we just keep walking straight, we keep running this race, like we're good. But Jesus challenges that. He says, sometimes you've got to take the blinders off and see that there are other things happening around you, other things that need attention. Friends, as a, a church, just a global church conversation, if all the church does is keep all the rules and we don't help anyone along the way, then we're just wasting our time. What we are called to do is to see the people the way that Jesus sees them. Jesus sees an unclean man and says, how can I make this man restored? How can I heal what is broken? How can I fix what the world has has discarded? What can I do to change someone's life? Friends, I believe that as long as we take the blinders off, we will see opportunities to help, opportunities to serve, and opportunities to love, especially people who are overlooked by society. And that is what we are called to do. But if we are going to be like the Pharisees and all we're doing is checking all the boxes, I think we're missing the point. Because the miracle in this story is clearly the man with the withered hand. But the message, the message is for the church. And that, that's kind of the, the beautiful, I think, the beautiful and the hard reality of this particular story. is It's so easy to focus on the man with the withered hand and ignore the fact that Jesus is talking to the church and how we exist and how we love others. Let's stand and sing together.